Welcome to 15 Minutes on Health Inequalities and a podcast discussing results from a paper published in 2020 about changes in occupational exposure to secondhand smoke as a result of introducing smoke-free prisons. I'm Ruth Das from the Social and Public Health Sciences Unit and with me is Alastair Leyland from the same unit. And today we are talking to Leah Dimu. Uh, I'm a research fellow also at the Social and Public Health Sciences Unit. Hi, Leah. Can you tell us about your research into the occupational and workplace effects on health? Um, great. Well, thanks for having me this morning. Um, yeah, so employment and, and our work are, um, they're both a major component of, of our life. They influence our life course, our identity um, and our well-being. Um, we, do, we know that work is economically and socially important for individuals and communities, and it helps us sort of have a structure to our life and maintains our daily activities and provides us obviously support in our income. So our work stream um, within the inequalities program at the Social and Public Health Sciences Unit focuses really on exploring the impacts of work uh, on health, but also the impacts of your health on your work and how our workplaces can be used to promote um, behavioral change and health improvement. Um, our research aims to understand the relationship between work, and this could be sort of organizational factors, health risks or inequalities in the workplace, and public health. Um, and we do this by harnessing the availability of, and power of secondary data, but also working with employers and employees to, to explore the influence of work and work on organization on health, but also the extent to which workplace organizations can contribute to public health improvement. Employers as well are becoming more aware that unhealthy workplaces um, and lifestyle choices are adversely affecting the well-being and productivity of their employees. Um, and we've, we've worked with a number of employers and organizations, including the NHS, the Scottish Prison Service, uh, as well as Police Scotland, for instance, in exploring employee well-being and organizational change issues. And you mentioned prisons as one of the workplaces you're interested in, and that's obviously what we're talking about today. How easy is it to conduct research in prisons? Yeah, so workplaces um, as physical and social environments, they do have a, a great potential for creating opportunity capacity um, and motivation for health improvement and behavioral change. Um, as you can appreciate, though, research in any organization will come with its challenges, but also with significant opportunities as well. Prisons, of course, uh, due to their nature and the additional security and safety controls that are in place, do create some additional challenges in terms of um, accessing the setting, accessing participants, recruitment, as well as bringing in scientific equipment, which was the case in our study as we had to bring in specific equipment um, to measure um, secondhand smoke. Um, however, where there's a will, there's a way, as they say, and I believe um, that our research project, um, the Tobacco and Prison Studies, which looked at evaluating the implementation of the smoke-free policy across the Scottish Prison Service, was a good example of how good partnership working with the organization um, ensures that challenges can be dealt with in an appropriate way, and we can actually do, we can actually conduct research. Okay, uh, can you tell us about the smoke-free legislation and its introduction to prisons? Sure. Um, so in 2016, uh, Scotland became one of the first countries in the world um, to introduce uh, comprehensive legislation on smoke-free indoor public places. And this was both to protect workers, but also the public from uh, exposure to secondhand smoke. 
However, certain workplaces were not covered by this legislation. And this was on the basis that these workplaces were also homes. Um, so as is the case in prisons, um, where these, these are the homes for people in custody. What this does though, is it prevents some workers from receiving the health benefits of a smoke-free workplace. So Scotland's prisons continue to implement, to permit people in custody to smoke tobacco in their room or in their cell, as well as in some of the outdoor areas. Um, however, staff were not allowed to smoke within prison premises or their grounds since the 2006 um, smoking ban. But research in smoke-free prisons is very important um, because we know that declines in smoking in the wider society that have been seen because of these public smoking bans have not been seen for people in custody. And the high rates of smoking in prisons um, partly reflect the socially deprived populations from which, um, from which people in custody are disproportionately drawn from. Um, but also many may take up smoking or they may increase their smoking um, when they're incarcerated. So that along with concerns about exposing staff as well as other, as other persons in custody who do not smoke to secondhand smoke, we're, we're still sort of, we're mounting. Um, and the UK governments uh, were committed to progress towards smoke-free prisons um, and the persistence of these high smoking levels um, and the, as well as the integral place of tobacco in prison life as well as in prison culture obviously um, present particular and considerable challenges for the implementation of such policies. So um, our study, which started in 2016, um, led by Professor Hunt, Kate Hunt from the University of Stirling, um, is really uh, a large project. It's a three-phase multi-method study which explored the periods before the Scottish prison smoke-free policy was even formulated. Um, it looked at the time during which the smoke-free policy was being prepared for implementation, as well as after the implementation of the smoke-free policy, really to evaluate the process of implementing enhanced tobacco control in Scottish prisons. What we wanted to do with the study is we wanted to strengthen the evidence based on what is likely to sort of facilitate a successful implementation of smoke-free prison policies for not only for the Scottish um, prison service, but also for other jurisdictions, but also as well to feed into the planning and communication strategies for the Scottish prison service. We also evaluated changes in smoking status and exposure to secondhand smoke, um, the results of which are in the study we are talking about today, as well as changes in health-related indicators, uh, both for people in custody as well as for staff, and organizational and cultural impacts um, in Scottish prisons following the implementation of the smoke-free ban. Thanks, Leah. Um, can you tell us the key findings from your analysis? Sure. So, so our, our analysis um, is really a, a very one distinct part of the TIP study, and this really was to evaluate the changes in smoking, smoking levels and exposures to secondhand smoke following the implementation of the smoke-free policy. We conducted measurements of secondhand smoke across uh, um, the entire Scottish prison service uh, prior to the announcement af um, after, and after the announcement, and also during the preparatory phases. Our main findings from, from this phase of the study, um, which um, was co-led with uh, Drs. Ruri Dobson and Dr. Sean Semple, as well as Professor Hunt from the University of Stirling, um, what they showed was that the implementation of the smoke-free policy was successful, and there were no significant incidences that were reported across the Scottish prison system. And that's a really big positive. Thanks, uh, 
the results of the measurements of um, fixed site monitoring. So these were um, placing our monitors um, at a specific location over a six day period showed that particulate matter concentrations, um, and these were used as proxies for secondhand smoke, uh, declined substantially across all prisons uh, between 2016, which was prior to any announcement of a smoke-free uh, ban um, in 2019. We also did measurements on um, during specific tasks that the staff would undertake, uh, which were considered sort of hot spots of exposure, if you like. And these indicated that the high pre-ban exposures to secondhand smoke that were associated with particular staff groups and particular, particular tasks, such as, for instance, searching the cells or opening the cells first thing in the morning, have been significantly reduced. And this is protecting staff from the health harms and substantially reducing any differences that were seen in exposures across staff groups. The huge decreases in the, these rates of particulate matter from baseline to the post-smoking ban really are remarkable. Are you able to put the kind of the final figure into context? So the final sort of PM 2.5 rates in context? I suppose what I'm really asking is why does that rate not fall to zero? Yeah, so so PM two point five. Um, really, what that is, it's it's really fine inhalable particles, and these are very small particles with diameters that are generally two point five micrometers or smaller. So we can we can inhale them, and they can go deep into the lungs. Um, and we use this as a proxy, and this has been used um, in many international studies as a proxy to secondhand smoke. Um, the levels that we've seen, uh, yes, so that the decline was uh, incredible and it was across all prisons. And what we found really is that post-band, um, these levels of particulate matter are really similar to those that are found in smoke-free home environments. Particulate matter, um, PM 2.5, really wouldn't go to zero. Um, this is just everyday life. If you walk around, shuffle around in your home, if you have a printer next to you and are measuring PM 2.5, you get substantially larger numbers than what we found here. So everyday activities do produce um, PM 2.5 levels. In the 2009 um, monitoring results really are comparable to, and in some cases even lower than outdoor PM 2.5 levels. Um, so this has really shown that we've had no substantial indoor emission, if you like, of PM 2.5, so that the emission from cigarette smoking has really reduced. I had a quick look this morning, um, Glasgow PM 2.5 levels, and they were 3.8 micrograms per cubic meter. So it's quite comparable. Your research is uh, clearly important. How did you maximize the impact of these results? Even though we've been working independently, we have been in close partnership with the Scottish Prison Service. And this has allowed us to deal with some of the operational challenges of conducting this research project. For example, we trained Scottish Prison Service staff on how to use the particulate matter monitors and discuss with them how, where, and when was best to place the instruments for measurements. So our phase one assessment of Scottish of the secondhand smoke exposures in 2016 they demonstrated high and variable levels of secondhand smoke in Scottish prisons, and particularly in the residential halls. And these results partially informed the decision to introduce this comprehensive smoke-free policy across Scotland's 15 prisons. So on the day of our first publication um, detailing the secondhand uh, smoke levels, 
the SPS chief executive, he described these findings, a call to action, and announced that all of 15 of Scotland's prisons would become smoke-free in November of 2018. It seems surprising that prisons were ever exempted from the ban on smoking in the workplace. Is smoking still permitted in any other workplaces? Uh, and what's the situation uh, across Europe? Do other countries still allow smoking in prisons? Yeah, so prisons were exempt as these were these were people's homes and these are people's homes. Um, however, there are still some workplaces where smoking is, is permitted and these are primarily prisons um, across Europe or in there are some cases of residential care homes or hospices where they can offer individual smoking rooms. Um, however, these are only for residents and not for staff. So even though we have seen a smoking ban uh, across most workplaces, I think it's also important to note that although these bans in, are in place, exposure to secondhand smoke is still a concern for some occupational groups. There's been a recent review of international literature, and they identified that groups such as home care workers, for instance, identify secondhand smoke exposure as a key concern um, for their work during their work time. Um, we, we've conducted a, research, a recent study with um, Drs. Ruri Dobson and Sean Sample from Stirling University, and we've estimated that over 10 million workers, and that's more than a fifth of the UK workforce, um, are working in jobs where they may still be exposed to secondhand smoke. Uh, for other prison jurisdictions that are hoping to go smoke-free, we hope that our results, along with our further tips fi findings on the perceptions as well as experiences of staff and people in custody relating to smoke free policy across the prison service, as well as our forthcoming modeling uh, of outcomes would be highly relevant for, the, for their prison services considering organizational and policy changes that relate to indoor smoking rules. We usually finish these podcasts by asking what are the implications for health inequalities? Um, the World Health Organization European region has the highest prevalence of tobacco smoking among, among adults. And in addition, we know that tobacco is a driver for health inequalities. So there are implications for health inequalities. The introduction of smoke-free prisons has the potential to protect and improve the health of prison staff and people in custody. From a workplace perspective and employee health, um, in the case of this study, I think our task-based measurements really indicated that the high pre-ban exposures to secondhand smoke that were associated with particular staff groups and particular tasks, such as cell searches, in 2016, these have been significantly reduced, protecting these staff from its health harms, as well as substantially reducing any differences in exposure between different groups of staff that were working within the same prison. For people in custody, the benefits can be significant. Not only are they protecting um, their health and well-being, but if people in custody can be supported to become lifelong non-smokers, this would be a tremendous benefit. And these benefits may extend into the community after the release, potentially also magnifying the impact on reducing health inequalities and to the families of those who have been in custody in smoke-free prisons. That's great. Um... Thanks. We'd just like to thank you, Leah, for talking to us today. Thank so, you. It's been my pleasure. No problem. And just to let people know that details and links about where to find Leah's paper and information about participants in this podcast can be found in the podcast notes. And thank you all for listening.